0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Lord Jesus, as we come to fellowship with one another and to have communion with you, our aim today is to glorify you. Our aim is to place you in the highest place of our life. And Lord, that's the aim of this church. Lord, we want uh, you know the stance that we take on drinking to be something that will Not focus on us, Lord, but focus on you that will declare the gospel to the world. And Lord, as we come to Romans chapter 1 for the fifth time in this series, Lord, we are excited to have you speak to us. We give you permission to come into our minds and our hearts and tweak things and fix things Fix things to line up to you and your standards and your righteousness and your perfection. And again, Lord, today I pray that you would move beyond this speaker, this preacher, Lord. Lord, that your spirit would transcend and go beyond all weakness, and that you would speak to us in spirit and in power and bring about great repentance in our life from immorality, from flat out obvious sin. And Lord, from the sin of self-righteousness that we so quickly as a church default to. Lord Jesus, make yourself known in this place. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through Romans, we've come across a passage that causes us to realize that as sinners, we have made an exchange. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've exchanged the glory of God, the glory of an incorruptible God for a, a an image made like corruptible man, or four-footed animals, or birds, or creeping things, as Paul says. And he really lays the point to us that we have raised up idols in the place of God. In a sense, we've de God. And so we're doing a three-week series in chapter one showing us the result of de-godding God. Last week we did part one of the result which is homosexuality and today we're going to do part two. The result of de-godding God being homosexuality. A result might be the better way to put it, because next week we're going to see 23 more results from lifting up idols in our hearts and casting down the one true God who created us. The subject of homosexuality is a very relevant issue in our day. Just this week there was the appeal of don't ask, don't tell, the ban of gays from the military, and this appeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell took place last Tuesday. A big thing for America. As one Navy officer said that he is waiting to get home to Vermont so that he can marry his partner at midnight Tuesday evening. Uh, you know, we all know the world is sending us a very strong message of tolerance and acceptance towards the homosexual lifestyle most of the tv shows that we've watched most of the tv shows we've shut off <laughs> most of the news the mail newspaper articles etc have a strong proclamation of honor diversity in texas this week during a school conversation regarding homosexuality a 16 year old high schooler was sent to the principal's office and then placed on in-school suspension after making a comment to his neighbor in class that he was a Christian and he felt homosexuality was wrong. The MTV European Music Awards has nominated Lady Gaga's song, I Was Born This Way, to be uh, one of the nominations for best song. And the lyrics for the song, some of them go like this. I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Then the bridge to the song says, don't be a drag, just be a queen. Don't be a drag, just be a queen. Three times, don't be a drag, just be a queen. Within the song, there are caring, gentle, seemingly loving lyrics. Whether life's disabilities left you outcast, bullied, or teased, rejoice and love yourself today because, baby, you were born this way. Then the song goes on to say, no matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. This is... From one of the artists that, you know, the teenagers and, you know, pop culture just lifts up as an idol within our, you know, within our nation, within the world. Even MTV Europe is nominating her for having the best song. Everything from, you know, the uh, million man march or million person march in Washington, D.C., Marching with the goal to implement homosexual, bisexual, and transgender curriculum at all levels of public education. Marching so that there would be the lowering of age consent for heterosexual and homosexual sex. Marching for legalized marriage. Marching for custody and adoption and foster care rights for homosexuals, lesbians, and transgenders marching to redefine the definition of family to include homosexuals, marching to access all levels and programs of the Boy Scouts of America, marching for affirmative action, and finally marching to include sex change operations under a universal health care plan that the uh, heterosexuals' taxpayer, even in disagreement of the lifestyle, would pay for. And so as we have the TV on as we have internet access in every room and every electronic device in our house. Man, if there's ever a time to just monitor what your family's watching and what your kids are watching, you know, we're living in that time. You know, as we look at the business world, some of the most famous businesses that we know of, most successful businesses, have been giving health benefits to homosexuals. Everything from the San Francisco Giants and the Coors Brewing Company, Apple, IBM, Ben & Jerry's, the Discovery Channel, Kodak, Hewlett-Packard, MGM, PBS, New York Times, Seattle Times, Sony, Time Warner, Xerox, Universal Studios, and Disney have uh, shown great support for the homosexual community. You've got churches today that are now ordaining uh, homosexual and lesbian uh, pastors, everything from the Presbyterian Association to the Lutherans. Uh, to the United Methodists, got the educators with the agenda to um, to further the awareness and the acceptance of homosexual lifestyles. But as we look at all of this, I've just been praying all week, for the last two weeks really, that as we study this, that the Lord would give us the right view on all of this, and the Lord would give us the loving view on all of this. And it's just amazing how much research I've come across that would have great statistics and great facts, and yet would err in that there was no love. In fact, it had the tone of hate. And even as a pastor, you read it and you just almost want to throw out the statistics knowing that that's the case. As Paul says, you know, man, though I might speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And so as we come today to the Word, we want to look at, just quickly, three different groups of people when dealing with this issue. First of all, we look at the church. The church needing to be educated and have knowledge on these biblical topics. We need to know what the Bible says and why it says it. We need to understand that people within the church struggle with. All different kinds of sexual attractions. We as the church need to preach Jesus as our hope and as our deliverer. And we as a community need to develop relationships of love and also truth. So you have the church. Then you have the self-righteous. The self-righteous. Sadly, many of the self-righteous are actually incorporated within the church. And the self-righteous would say, I'm straight, therefore I'm good before God. Is that you this morning? I'm straight, I'm better than the homosexual, and I'm good before God. And then you have the third group, and we're going to really be looking at the third group today in in a deeper way, who says that the Bible doesn't say what it says about homosexuality. And that third group tries to get the Bible to say things that it doesn't say. And I want to remind you today that I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist. I'm a pastor. I'm going to do my best to bring the word and provide an accurate, accurate picture of what the Bible has to say about homosexuality, a biblical view, and also to show you a little bit of the worldview that's out there today. Let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter one. And let's just go ahead and look at uh, verse 16. Just keep going back to verse 16, even though we're really looking at the end of the chapter because we want to have a gospel-focused view on all of this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same but are also approving of those who practice them. As we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32, or 16 through 32, we see that homosexuality is a sin. It's actually listed in a category, a category list of all kinds of sin. And so one error that Christians have in looking at homosexuality is that we elevate it above other sins. Now it's true that the difference between homosexuality and any other sin is seen in this chapter that it's actually going so far to sin against nature. I don't even care, Lord, what your design for us was. I don't even care that it's not fitting. I don't even care that it doesn't work. It's against nature, but I'm going to do it. And as we studied last week, homosexuality in chapter one is kind of Expounded upon more than the other sins because it's really the dramatization of this uh, de-godding of God. It's kind of that that full picture of God. I don't care what you say. I don't care that you're God. I don't care that you're the creator. I want to worship man. I want to worship creation. I want to worship things that I can see and that are tangible and that are just easy for my mind to get. And that's what I want. And actually within homosexuality, that's pretty much what it is. It's the full de of God. It's the full worship of man and creature rather than the creator. And so it is a sin. It's It's a horrible sin. But the other sins in Romans 1 are horrible as well. And we don't want to make that error, although it is sin against nature, we don't want to make the error in elevating it above other sins. When we come to this topic, we want to kind of start at the foundation and we want to look at uh, God's design for sex and God's design for marriage. First of all, we look at gender and that gender is essential to our humanness. God created them, male and female, in the image of God. And within that male and female, there's equality and there's diversity there. But gender was never a divine afterthought. You know, that God thought, man, you know what, I made a mistake, I'll just whatever. You know, uh, maybe whatever you want to be or something like that. No, he had purpose and design in the way he created man and woman, male and female. Sex is actually designed for Oneness and commitment and pleasure within covenantal marriage. Sex is designed for procreation, it has design because of the Creator. Sex and gender is a picture of God's covenant that He would later make with His people. And you, as we know from the scriptures, can only enjoy sex inside of a binding, legal, personal agreement, a covenant. God himself doesn't just give himself to, it, to anyone, but there has to be that covenant made. Through his life and through his death, through his resurrection, through faith in those things, we enter into covenant with him And the blessings from Christ become ours. Sexual orientation has become a confusing topic for the day. While we're not going to get into biology or sociology, while they do have their great arguments and their great cases, um, we're not looking at that. But we want to look at sexual orientation. And we go straight to the source for this subject, Wikipedia. Okay? Hey, my brother-in-law's a journalist and he says it's becoming a very uh, great source, okay? So, quoting Wikipedia here. It says that a number of different classification schemes have been used to describe sexual orientation since the mid-19th century. And scholars have often defined the term sexual orientation in divergent ways. Indeed, several studies have found that much of the research about sexual orientation has failed to define the term at all, making it difficult to reconcile the results of different studies. However, most definitions include a psychological component such as the direction of an individual's erotic desire and or a behavioral component which focuses on the sex of the individual's sexual partners, but The conclusion is, some prefer to simply follow an individual's self-definition or identity. Did you get that last part? Some prefer to simply follow an individual's self-definition or identity. In a postmodern culture, I say what I say I am. I am what I say I am. I am straight because I say I am or I am gay, or I am bi, or whatever. I say what I I am, what I say I am. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us what we are. The Bible says that we are created beings, created by God, who's not only a creator and a designer, but also a judge. And our job as the creator is to just put him on full display and just point everybody to his glory. It's the full reason why we live and breathe and move and have our being. To glorify God. It's been said it's the chief end of man. We're created in the image of God to bear his image. Now, we all have a broken sexual orientation, whether you'd like to admit it or not. You might say here today, Rory, quiet, foo, you know, I'm straight. Well, that might be true, but you're still a sinner. Having lusted after every single woman in this room, you are a sinner and you need to repent. Repent. Having lusted after every single girl in your high school or at your campus or at your workplace or wondering if it could work or would work or if she'd, you know, whatever. Lust. You're a sinner and you need to repent. Because of our sin, because of this broken orientation, we're all cut off from life and relationship in God and we're left without the renewing power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the only way that that renewing power of the Holy Spirit is made available again is by believing in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and allowing Him to place His perfection, His rightness and His wholeness upon you. Our whole nature, our whole orientation is sin. Ephesians tells us that by nature we are children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Every single one of you and myself lived for self, lived for flesh, lived for gratifying ourselves, whether that is in a sexual way, or in a substance way, or in an experiential way. You want the buzz, you want the rush, you want the feeling. When we rebel, there's just some kind of crazy feeling that you get. Whatever it is, man, we serve ourselves. We're children of wrath because of that. Because we're sinners, we have this inherent drive towards disobedience and so when you come to just the foundation of it all when you get to the heart of the issue you have to discuss the doctrine of original sin and the depravity of man you cannot have a discussion about sexuality of any kind without looking at the doctrine of original sin and depravity without underlining and highlighting that we are not good people We are not good people. And sadly, as Christians are interviewed on talk shows, they never get to that we're all sinners. We're all fallen. We're all depraved. We're all children of wrath. They miss that in the discussion. A man, will quote a few times today, named Richard Lovelace, wrote a book on homosexuality, where he says that human sin and God's punishment upon it have deeply affected the process by which sexual identity is formed, with the result that none of us heterosexual or homosexual naturally desires to fulfill perfectly God's plan for our sexuality. We did not consciously choose to have the deviant sexual orientation uh, at which drives us towards fornication, adultery, or homosexual practice, but we are confronted with the choice whether or not to act out our orientation and fulfill our natural desires or whether instead to uh, heed to the control and transforming power of the Holy Spirit of Christ to restrain and reorient our desires and our behavior. The topic is brought up as you look at this is, well, what about the strong temptations? What about the strong desires? And for the most part, You know, you may or may not be responsible for what tempts you. There's an old saying I've known since I was 15 that you can let the crows fly over your head, but you better not let them nest on your head. You know, the temptations are going to go by every day, but whether or not we heed to those temptations, whether or not we yield to those temptations, that is something completely different. We are absolutely responsible for the choices that we make. And no discovery of biological or psychological data will ever change the Bible's verdict on our behavior that sin is sin and sin is wrong. And as we de-God God, we seek our desires apart from God's desires. Even within the church, we don't want to honor God. We want to, uh, make God approve our choices. Lord, you have to approve what comes naturally to me, what I think comes naturally to me. But the Bible tells us that our own consciences are seared. Our own consciences are seared. Albert Moeller said, Corrupted by sin, the conscience arbitrarily excuses and condemns us with a continual cycle of rationalization and self-deception. Even though the law of God is written in the structure of the universe, we have corrupted that knowledge and we no longer see what was so evident in Eden. Because of our brokenness, because of that corruption, the bondage of corruption that's in the world, our sinful state requires that God would give us limits, that God would give us guidelines. God would give us purpose. And that's why we find those, uh, those limits and those guidelines, the list of sins in Scripture. Let's look at three ways the broad church has erred towards the homosexual community. The church has erred towards the homosexual community, number one, by failing to speak to the issue with compassion. So much of the broad church just says, you know what, God hates the person. And the preaching and the teaching would be with bitterness and hatred, a lack of love. Self-righteousness causes us to fail in speaking in love. The church has even uh, been prone to violence. In it's history. The church exaggerates this sin above other sins. Just remember, all sin is an affront to God. All have sinned, and Jesus died to save us of our sin. In church history, Tertullian, Chrysostom, Augustine, Calvin, and Luther all write against homosexuality. But in their writings, they did not deal more or less harshly than they did with any other sin. So one of those mistakes of the church is to deal with homosexuality in an exaggerated way when the guy in the church is sleeping with his girlfriend and he gets off scot-free with a tiny little slap on the wrist. We're kind of a equal opportunity rebukers here at Calvary Chapel, you know, that if you're in sin, we got to confront you in that sin. We confront each other in that sin. The historian Bailey said that penances opposed upon Christians confessing to be involved in homosexual practices were not marked any more severe than those who involved in any other offenses. And there does not seem to be any special vendetta against this specific sin. The third way that we err in reaching out and speaking towards the homosexuals is that there's a miscommunication of the gospel towards them. We often come to them that if you will become straight, then God will save you. How many of you became straight before you were saved? How many of you became, you know, perfect before God saved you? If you would say me to that, you might want to even question if you're saved. That's self-righteousness. You know, we fail to acknowledge that our own even heterosexuality is just as broken as homosexuality. And so we want to look at some text today in the scriptures that deal with homosexuality. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at Genesis Chapter 18, verse 20. Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. And then we're going to flip to chapter 19. It says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, And because their sin is very grave, paraphrase, I'm going to destroy them. Okay? So we want to notice here that the homosexual practices that were going on in Sodom and Gomorrah that we'll see more in the next chapter, that it is sin, first of all, you might just underline that in verse 20, because their sin is very grave. It's a sin that is very grievous to God. And then flip over one chapter to Chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all of the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. You'll notice that uh, verse 5 at the end, uh, it's, uh, homosexuality is described by carnality. Scripturally speaking, it's, it's of the flesh. In verse 6, you'll see that it's called out by law as wickedness. And then as you just go down a few verses to verse 24, you know the, the whole, most of you know this story. The whole city was judged. It says in verse twenty-four that the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So we see that in Genesis chapters eighteen and nineteen, that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. This culture that was so involved in wicked, wicked sodomy was destroyed. And we're going to stay in the Old Testament and we're going to go to Leviticus in a second. Let's flip over to the New Testament real quick. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And we actually have Peter giving us a commentary on what happened in Sodom. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction and making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. So something that Peter just kind of expounds upon the Genesis chapter is that God, you know, condemned these wicked cities to destruction. And he actually made them an example to those who would live ungodly in the future. We see that, you know, this is is an act, this is a lifestyle that's worthy of condemnation and destruction. Peter calls it ungodly lifestyle. Later on in verse 7, it says that it's filthy conduct and it's wickedness. And, and, and so many other sins are just the same, okay? we got to understand that so many other sins are filthy and wicked and worthy of destruction, every one of them. But we need to be careful lest we condone this practice, lest we develop a worldview against this practice, and a non-biblical view. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22... Says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Then you flip over two chapters to Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. So two times in Leviticus, this word abomination is used to describe it. And in this culture, you know, abomination has just kind of become this catchphrase, even by secular world of like, oh, of course, that's what the fundamentalist Christians are going to say, abomination, and they throw it out there. But it's a biblical word given to us in the scriptures to describe something that is loathsome and disgusting. The definition of abomination you know, we have different words in our vocabulary to really express the depth and the heart and even the love and the passion of things. And here we're given the word abomination to just so how, show how loathsome it is, how disgusting it is. And you know, as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we can't just pick and choose our theology. I love the verses on heaven. The eternal life and eating of the fruit of the tree of life in heaven. And man, I love that. I love redemption. I love that, man, I can cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. But no, I'm still going to sleep with my girlfriend. God doesn't really mean what he means about, you know, defrauding my brother or my sister and sexual immorality. And, and no, that's just, that's too harsh that those language that's used against homosexuality. As Christians, we can't pick and choose. Every word of the scriptures have been breathed out by God and are profitable to us for doctrine and for so much more. We just read out of Leviticus, which, you know, it's, it's from the law. It's one of the five books of the Pentateuch. And, you know, it's given to us to, you know, show us ceremonial law. You know, all these ceremonies that ultimately point to Christ. When you read the law with that understanding, the law actually becomes quite a beautiful thing that, that we wouldn't be able to fulfill it, but Jesus came and fulfilled it. All the law is a shadow of things to come and points the substance of the law is Christ. There's also civil law in Leviticus. It's you know, how God governed the nation of Israel. It showed Israel how to live as a community, And how to be governed. And again, Jesus fulfilled the law by his death and by his resurrection. But also we have the moral law. And the moral law contains absolutes, hard lines that are based on God's character. They never change. They transcend race and class and culture and time and gender. These moral laws that we read that are specifically for sex are actually meant to channel our impulses towards his design so that we can give him the utmost glory that's due to his name. The reason that we're told not to do it is because he knows that we all want to do it. The reason we're told not to lie is because we want to lie. The reason we're told not to cheat is we want to cheat. Want to commit adultery. He knew that in our brokenness, we as sinners would do it. And Leviticus just shows us that homosexuality is a sin among others. It violates civil law, it violates moral law. And that's reiterated in the New Testament. You look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6, you see God's heart on homosexuality reiterated in the New Testament. Matthew 9, verse 4. Matthew 19, verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together... Let not man separate. And so even Jesus tells us that God designed for the beginning, from the beginning, was not a man and a man. God's design from the beginning that was still applicable in Jesus' day was not a man and a man and not a woman and a woman, but male and female in the covenant of marriage. And then we come to our text today in Romans chapter 1. You know, in Romans chapters 1 through 3, Paul is demonstrating to us that all humanity is guilty and have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Paul has in mind here God's original created order. And that all sin is a distortion of everything that God's created. We see that God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them up to a debased mind. The ultimate reason why is because men exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who will be blessed forever. And any church or any person who tries to justify sin will come with a man's point of view and not a Christ's point of view. We'll have an Anthrop point of view and not a Christo point of view. That sin is an offense to God. It's a de of God. It's saying, God, I don't care what you say. Back off. You need to approve what I say is right. But as we do have that Christ-centered view, you come to Romans 1, and as you browse the verses we've read this morning, you have descriptions of homosexuality that include the words ungodly, unrighteous, futile, and you can just underline them and circle them as your eyes catch them there, futile or worthless, foolish, unclean, lustful, dishonorable, vile, Against nature, shameful, and evidence of a debased mind. Don't forget, not fitting. Paul calls this act vile, which speaks of morally reprehensible. It's lustful, it's worshiping and serving the creature rather than God. The issue here in Romans 1, it's so much deeper than homosexuality. The issue is idolatry. The issue is worshiping anything other than God. And because man wanted to do that, because man would not retain God in his mind, God gave them up three times. God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. Some of the most tragic verses in scripture are when God said, you know what? I know that you are so in rebellion against me and your heart is so hard that you won't hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you about your sin. You won't hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you about redemption and forgiveness and restoration. Your heart is so hard that fine, you can have what you want. And that's the first step of judgment. That's the first step of receiving the penalty of the error that is due. Is that God would give us up to our sin? You'll notice that it says that they will receive this penalty at the end of verse 27 of their error, which was due. There will be a penalty. To anyone who's given over to a sexual perversion, there's a punishment. And the first part of the punishment is the perversion itself. There will be eternal punishment as well. But it's a lie to say that homosexuality is a healthy, happy, alternative lifestyle. You do the research and you'll find that the average age of an active lesbian is 45 years old. The average lifespan of a practicing gay male is 39 years old. As Christianity Today wrote, they call themselves gay and happy, but you take a random selection of homosexual men in their 30s and you'll find that only one is faithful to his partner, and within a year that relationship will end. He will have had a sexually transmitted disease. Three of them will have uh, be HIV positive, one has AIDS, three are currently alcoholics, four have experienced chronic depression, three have considered suicide, and two have attempted it. You know, as you look at the statistics, and I, I went over them today and I just prayed over which ones to to share, you see that the you know, the, the judgment is more than AIDS. You see that uh, 73% of Uh, Psychiatrists say homosexuals are less happy than the average person. And of these psychiatrists, 70% say that the unhappiness is not due to social stigmatism. 25 to 33% of homosexuals and lesbians are alcoholics. Of homosexuals questioned in one study reports, one study reports that 43% admit to 500 or more partners in a lifetime. 28% 28% admit to a thousand or more in a lifetime. And of these people, 79% say that half of those partners are total strangers. It goes on, some of it's just too much to say in this setting. <clears throat> John Jud- uh, Judge John Martau, Chief Magistrate of the New York City Criminal Court, says homosexuals account for half the murders in large cities, and most often it's a homosexual against a homosexual. Captain William Riddle of the LAPD says, 30,000 sexually abused children in Los Angeles were victims of homosexuals. Dr. Daniel Capron, a practicing psychiatrist, says, homosexuality by definition is not healthy and wholesome. The homosexual person at best will be unhappier and more unfulfilled than the sexually uh, normal person. And uh, you know that's all I'm going to read from, from some of the statistics. There's more. And again, I was one of those that just wasn't in love. And so he just tried to present some of it. And, and um, you know, as we look at all of this, you know, it'd be much different oftentimes as you're in a larger city. It, sometimes we feel removed from the issue, but there's a lot of objections to so far what's been taught today and even just the scriptures that have been read. Some of the popular objections are this, first of all. Um, homosexuality was prohibited only because of its connection with the idolatry of other cultures. We know that this is not true because this behavior is actually based on pre-existing values that go all the way to Genesis. Just like Jesus saying, in the beginning, he created them male and female. And if this logic was actually true, hey, it was associated with idolatry, that's why it was wrong then, then child sacrifice premarital sex incest adultery would all be okay as long as they had no connection with idolatry we bible believing christians would say of course that that wouldn't be acceptable you know we've read do not sacrifice your children to the god of Molech," but as long as you're not offering your children to Molech, go ahead and sacrifice your children would be the reasoning there Another objection was that God only forbid this because he wanted procreation to happen. God needed procreation to get the planet populated. But now that we've overpopulated the planet, we can have sexual relationships of any kind uh, that don't lead to procreation. And if this is the case, then why is premarital sex, adultery, and incest forbidden? Um, You know, and and another flaw in that logic is most people have a wrong view that um, sex was, you know, only created for procreation. But biblically, it's created for intimacy and oneness. And is a picture of Christ in the church and pleasure. Another objection, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. We know that Jesus wouldn't have differed from the predominant Jewish view, which condemned the same sex relationships. In fact, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and confirm the law, not abolish the law. Jesus confirmed the model of marriage between a man and a woman. Another view here uh, the passage has to do in Romans, has to do with rape and prostitution. And uh, what they call catamites and exploitive acts, but the whole point that Paul is making here is that there was mutual gratification. Men burning in their lust for one another. I know this is a tough subject. You know, I know this is not the most comfortable subject. We're digging into the word today. We're looking at the arguments as people in our culture, your coworkers, your family members are bringing up to say, hey, the Bible doesn't say what it says. You know, the, the literal translation of this passage would say that they were inflamed in their yearning with one another, male with male, committing which is indecent. It's not referring to rape. It's not referring to, you know, as the Greeks and the Romans used to do, keep the young male boys around for sexual pleasure. It's not referring to that. Of course that's wrong. It's referring to this um, uh, shameful uh, yearning for one another. Another objection. It's natural for me to be a homosexual, so I have to do that. You know, uh, another objection that goes along with that is we were born this way. And uh, Romans 1 is dealing with men who weren't. Born gay, having relations when they shouldn't because they weren't born that way. In other words, only the created homosexuals are right. It's kind of a confusing thing, but the argument is, you know, if you're not born a homosexual, it's sin to do homosexual acts. That's the argument there, if that makes any sense to you. But, uh, you know, we just have to look at the scriptures that the design from God is that we would not be born that way. Back in 1993, the gay gene was discovered as Dr. Dean Hammer was discovering a cure for cancer. And as he supposedly found this gay gene, the Washington Post trumpeted this as the greatest discovery comparable to a find, finding a cure for AIDS. But what the Washington Post failed to tell us was that Dr. Hammer himself was a professing homosexual. And the Washington Post also didn't tell us that Dr. Hammers was invest, being investigated for fraud by the Office of Research and Integrity. You know, so we have to be so careful to test the things that we hear in the media because the media has an agenda. The world has an agenda. Another objection there's no other, or excuse me, um, Another objection by scholars is that there's an offense of the terms homosexual and sodomite being used. And as you look at the scripture here, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is our final scripture today. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. You not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You know, there's all kinds of sins mentioned here, and nobody's left out. But we see that the terms homosexual and sodomite are used, though the word homosexual in the Greek means soft and effeminate, literally speaking of soft clothing. And the word sodomite speaks of one who lies with a male as with a female. Literally, in the Greek, the abuser of oneself with mankind. The scriptures use very descriptive phrases here to make it very clear what's being talked about. And one of the objections is is that we don't know what the scripture is really talking about. We know. We know what is being spoken of here. Biblical evidence, church history evidence. You've got Paul and Philo, early writers, all writing with the same meaning. For the sake of time, just kind of filtering through some of the objections here. Here's some some objections that actually put the gospel at risk. Number one, we're all God's children. We've all heard that. We're all God's children. Just tolerance. And for Christians to say this, you're putting the gospel at risk. You're saying that we're just all sinners in the same boat. That's partially true. But the truth of that and the finishing statement is, but we're all called to repent. We're all called to repent by Jesus. Another objection that puts the gospel at risk is, what about grace? What about grace? Can't we just cover over this sin? We know from the Bible that grace doesn't allow a man to sin, but actually enables a man to repent of sin. You know, grace doesn't just sweep sin under a rug and say, you're okay, little buddy, you know, we're cool. But grace leads us to the forgiveness and the um, expulsion of sin in our life. Another objection would be, you know, homosexuality would cause damage if it was repressed. Repressed. Richard Lovelace wrote this, the argument that sexual control is impossible for most homosexuals because they do not have the gift of continence, which is self-restraint in sexual matters, leads necessarily to churches encouraging premarital and extramarital sex for the divorced and for the single and for the widow. Neither the Bible nor the common convictions of Christians support this conclusion and we must conclude where there's a responsibility to be chased God will supply the gift don't you love that yeah it seems impossible to the world seems impossible to the sinner but when we know the transforming power of the gospel there's so much hope there's so much power we'll close with this objection it's hateful to use scripture to, condone, uh, to condemn homosexuality, which really means don't use scripture at all for anything. You know, if any of us read the Bible and we're convicted about our sin, we could pipe up in the flesh that God has hate speech written directly to us. But Robert Gagnon, who really, uh, it's been said, wrote the book on hermeneutics for homosexuality, said this, The question depends on one very important factor, whether people who engage in same-sex persistently and without repentance do run the risk of being excluded from God's eternal presence. If the eternal destiny of unrepentant practicing homosexuals is at stake or even is a hindrance to a full relationship with God in this present life, then it would be a cruel abuse of religious power to give false assurance that these texts do not condemn homosexual behavior. It can be as much a cruel abuse of power not to say what the scripture says, however unpleasant it is to hear, as it is to say it in a cold and calloused manner. This flies in the face of Jesus, who was not shy about using scripture to warn people of impending doom. Similarly, within the storyline of Genesis 2 and 3, shall we say that the serpent who told Eve that she would uh, surely not die if she ate the fruit was implementing a more loving and tolerant stand than God? So man, the encouragement, I think, from Gagion, however you say his name, uh, is use the word. Use the word and use it in love. So much more to say. I want to close with just the, the fact that most of us and you know we're going to have an opportunity in our life to share the love of Jesus, with somebody that struggles in homosexuality, if someone that's fully given over to homosexuality, maybe even someone that just struggles with the tendencies. And when we share with them, we want to come to them in love. It's okay to say to them, you know, your sin separates you from God just like mine does. And you know what? Homosexuality, it's an abomination. But you know what? So is pride. We're all sinners and we all need repentance. The worship band can come on up. And you know, as we do this study, as we did this study... (laughs) the tendency for many of us in this room today is to think that this message doesn't pertain to us. Glad that one's over. You know, it's just one of those that's just not applicable to me. And we think that we're good and we're right because, you know, you're good and you're right because you're not a homosexual. And you know, Paul is going to do his best in the next two chapters To condemn that thought process. To condemn the thought process of the self-righteous. That say, I am right because I'm not doing that. Two more chapters devoted to that. To show that all are guilty. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And as we just put our things aside today, and as we just close in worship, you know, we remember that list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That reminder that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And why don't you just close your eyes right now, and let me read this over you for the second time today. Don't be deceived. Neither a person who has sex outside of marriage nor an idolater, nor adulterer, nor homosexual, nor sodomite, nor thief, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor reviler, nor extortioner, will inherit the kingdom of God. You know what? You are listed in that group. But Here's the good news. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so in this room today, if you're here and you're a professed homosexual, then in just a loving way, just been shown from the word, you're in sin. You'll be judged if you don't repent. If you're here today and you are a coveter, you're covetous, just looking at people's stuff and things and status and you want it in any way, shape or form in your heart, you're condemned and you will be judged. If you're a thief, if you've cheated on your taxes, if you've stolen candy from the dollar candy store, you're a thief, you're condemned, you'll be judged. But today in this room, You can be washed from your sins. You can be justified before God and declared innocent before Him. And you can be sanctified and set apart from sin and from this world. If you'll believe, if you'll rest in Him, if you'll respond to Him today, as we close in song, just confess your sins. Just turn from your sins. Just confess, Lord, my mind towards all of this has been wrong and I changed my mind about it today. I ask for forgiveness, Lord. I ask you to wash me clean. I ask you that you would cause me to be born again today. That I could be saved from my sin and saved to eternal life. Let's respond to him today. Let's receive forgiveness Forgive us of all kinds of sexual sin. All kinds of deceitful workings. All types of malice and hatred and bigotry. Let's come to the cross. Let's be forgiven today. Let's go ahead and close with this song.